carrying on our Wednesday night series on how blank works in everyday life. It almost sounds like you're saying a dirty word, doesn't it? How blank works in everyday life. <laughs> but tonight, you know, we've talked about love and we've talked about some other topics. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how servanthood works in everyday life. How servanthood works in everyday life. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Philippians. If you've got your smartphones, your tablets, whatever you want to do, open up Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to read through verse 7. Paul's writing here and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If you will go back to that, Shannon. It is... When you, when you talk about servanthood and serving others, the exact opposite of that heart or that spirit is selfish ambition or vain conceit. When you're doing something out of selfish ambition or, something, some, or, or some kind of vain aspiration in life, what do you guys think that would look like? Like, what are some examples of that that you guys have seen in other people's lives? What, how, how, can you, how can you have selfish ambition in your life? Anybody? I got Shannon back there. Go for it. Mm-hmm. The whole world exists to serve your end goal. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Go to the next one. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. One of the most evident earmarks of spiritual maturity in your life is a heart of servanthood. Because when you have a true heart of servanthood, that means that you are operating, in its essence, out of love and humility. Not out of something that can build you up or get you paid or, or some kind of selfish motivation. But a true servant's heart reflects love for others, and it reflects a, a platform of humility, understanding that you don't have to prove who you are, but you're there to put yourself in a way beneath other people, to put their interest above your own, to see them succeed, to serve them, and to pour into their lives. Jesus paints the, I mean, just absolute perfect picture of servanthood in his life. When you think of servanthood, I don't know how it works for you. When I think of servanthood, the mental image that I get is Jesus washing the disciples' feet, humbling himself, and, and, and carrying out that, I mean, just that basic task of a servant, putting others before you. When you get closer to God, you begin to take on the characteristics of him. It's like whoever you hang out with the most, usually you pick up some of their characteristics. 
You know, it's funny, like, what I can watch with my children, when they're around other children a lot, they'll pick up key phrases that their friends will say, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you, you tend to mimic who you are. The Bible talks about how bad company corrupts good character. Well, the opposite can be true, too. Good character can build more good character. Those that you're around the most, you become like. And as you get closer and closer to God and you grow in your relationship with Him, you, you begin to take on the attributes and the character and the likeness of God. Have you noticed? Have you ever just look back at your walk with God and you can't really put a finger on a definite moment of change, but you find yourself in your behavior and in your lifestyle very different and more godlike now than you were, say, two, three, four years ago. There might not have been a definite moment of change, but you're absolutely different now because of the time that you spent with him in your relationship through prayer and in the word and that change from the inside out. Is that making sense? So who you're close to, who you spend time with, it, it affects you. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 21 says this. This is a short one, but it's a good one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That puts things in a little bit of perspective. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means that I don't have to like you in order to serve you. Let me say that again. Okay, That means that I don't have to like you in order to serve you. Or to have a servant's heart towards you. Because I'm doing it out of reverence for Christ. I'm doing it because of my relationship with Him. I'm doing it out of obedience and wanting to reflect the image of the one that I want to emulate. I serve you because I love my Jesus. And I want His love to reach out to you through me. And I know that if He loved me, and he died on the cross for me when I was a sorry, no good son of a gun. And I wasn't worth the sacrifice or the time, really. If he, if he put that much value on me as a sinner who didn't know him, why should I put any less value on anybody that I come into contact with? Whether they're a Christian or not, I should still want to find a way, if I can, to serve them because of reverence for my Jesus. Make sense? So whether or not you're nice to me, it doesn't matter. Whether or not I like you, it doesn't matter. It ha- what, it, what matters is that I do it out of obedience to Jesus. And I, and I wonder sometimes while we wrestle with this. like with, It's easy for me to like people that like me. I don't know how it works for you guys. But I like hanging out with people that, that I like. I like hanging out with people that like me. People that I don't click with so well, man, sometimes it's difficult. You know, sometimes it's difficult to be nice to people who just aren't nice to you. It's just tough. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's tough. It takes some discipline sometimes. You know, it's just because you don't always have an opportunity to run to a back room and pray for 30 minutes and get full of the Holy Ghost again and come walking out, you know, just full, got your battery full of the presence of God, and then you can just love on the people that are driving you crazy at work. You don't have to hang on a second, I got to go pray, and then I'll come back and I can deal with you. You can't do that. You know, it probably would have saved a whole lot of conflict if we'd have been able to do that, you know, but you, you don't usually have that opportunity to go do it. 
So the boss, the co-workers, the in-laws, the family members, the family members, the family members, the family members, and the family members that, that get under our skin, you know, man, it, it's just so hard sometimes to, to show that love to them, especially in a moment. Um, I don't get what it is about us that, that I guess really in our nature, we, we, we have like that, that selfishness that's there that we have to continually, like Paul says, I die daily. You got to put that stuff to death or it'll rear back up in your life, you know. You're just born with it naturally. My little girl, Abby, oh my gosh, she is the cutest little kid ever. But right now, everything belongs to her. Uh, the couch is hers. The TV is hers. The remote controls are hers. All the toys in the house are hers. The cat is hers. The dogs are hers. The car is hers. When she's here at the church, all these chairs are hers. I mean, everything is hers. If you're walking down the hall, you're not a person here at church. You are in an entertainment object that she has at her disposal. That's, that's not like her whole perspective is the whole world belongs to me. And now it's mine and Kelly's job to teach her that that's not the case. And so that's what we're going through right now. <laughs> and she's teething on top of that, so that makes it so much more fun. I, I know y'all guys didn't come here tonight to be like a sounding block for me, but y'all pray for me. Holy cow. That's just, anyway, they say that the perfect cure to a, strong world, a strong-willed child is a stronger-willed parent. And those are the roles that Kelly and I have taken on. I always tell my kids, you done messed up. If you're going to try to pull that stuff in my house, because God gave you the wrong parent to try to play those games with, I will sit here all. I will sit there all day, and clean my schedule out. If that's what it takes, we're going to get this lesson down, you know. Um, and sometimes that's what it takes. <laughs> that, that selfish thing is in us when we're born, and if we're not careful, man, it, it flares up, and we just don't want to do things for people. Now, it, it takes it takes effort. Sometimes when you're tired and you don't feel like doing things on the job, you don't feel like doing things at the church, you know, you don't feel like it, it just takes discipline. And I think that's why to keep things in proper perspective is a good thing. We do what we do because of a Savior that died and did what he did. And if we love others the way that God loves them, then servanthood should flow out of us, naturally. And that little selfish thing that likes to flare up, even when we don't like people, even when it's that family member, you know, it, it helps put that into perspective so we can deal with them. I would wonder why, why I, I had trouble with this some, sometimes, like in the past, real bad, not so much here recently, but man, I just don't want to serve people sometimes when they're not nice to me. And so I was looking... For a good example in Scripture to, um, to show me what I should do in interacting with people and how to get rid of that selfish nature and, and, and trying to put you know, myself before others when I know that I should, and I should put them before myself, just like Christ made himself a servant. And so I thought, you know what? The disciples would be a great example because they walked around with Jesus all the time. These guys were world changers. You know, uh, every one of these guys, with the, ex the exception of John, were martyred for their faith. These guys were hardcore. Like, they stepped up, 
And they, they, you want to talk about all in, they lived a lifestyle that was all in in one of the most hostile environments for a Christian that's ever been known in history, you know. So these guys were killing it. So I started reading and looking at the disciples' life, and you know what I found? I found out they were pretty jacked up when I was reading through. Look at Matthew chapter 20, um, starting at verse 20. Jesus is just chilling. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, which is James and John, two of his disciples, came to Jesus with her sons. Look what Mama did. She dropped to her knees and asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. Guess what she was asking. Guess what she was asking. Skip down to verse 24. She was asking if they could have special permission to sit on the throne with him in heaven. Like she was lobbying for like a real high spiritual position for these two guys, and they just happened to go right along with her. So the other disciples, when they heard about this, they were indignant. Okay, that word looks pretty simple, indignant. You know what that means? That means they got their hind ends up on their shoulders about it. That's what it means. So they get all fussy, and they start getting all, they start griping at the, at the two brothers, and Jesus called them together and said, here we go, got to have a teaching moment. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And then their high officials, they exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, who wants to be, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's a huge power play by James and John's mom. They're right along with it. The other disciples find out what's going on. They get their hind ends up on the shoulder. They start arguing with themselves. So Jesus has to shut everything down and do this teaching thing. Guys, 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 listen. That's not how it's going to operate. It's not about the position of power and authority that you got. It's about being a servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be a servant. Powerful teaching moment for Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 46, another incident in Scripture. These wonderful disciples learning this wonderful lesson. First, here's another. An argument started among the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child. Look at this. Which one would be the greatest? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a child, had him stand by, beside him, and then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one, Jesus is teaching again, it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. A servant's heart. The disciples are arguing about who's the best and who's the biggest, who's the baddest, who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about that. If you want to be awesome, then serve. The least is going to be the greatest. Serve and put yourself aside and put the needs of others before yourself. So the disciples took the lesson to heart, I suppose, and walked it out. Luke chapter 22 is a great example of that in Scripture. Verse 24, oh look, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. You see a trend here with the disciples? Wouldn't this be a fun group of people to run around with, jockeying for who was going to be the greatest? This is a group of world changers now. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, those who exercise authority. 
over them called themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. The disciples, world changers, struggling with this servanthood thing, man. They were struggling with this concept of putting aside themselves and putting someone else's need before themselves. They're just struggling with it. it I, I, was, I went on a trip to New Mexico last year. Well, I guess it's the fall of, yeah, it's fall of last year. Kelly and I went. A friend of mine's church had a 10-year anniversary out there, and they decided that they were going to put on this big conference to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. They were inviting all these cool speakers out, and they were making a big deal out of it and promoting it. And they called me, and he said, Hey, man, do you want to come out and be one of the speakers and do some training sessions and stuff like that? And I was like, Sure. That's cool. You got all these great speakers coming out, and then you want me. I guess I'll, do, I'll show up, and I'll do my best. So we went out there, and it was so much fun. I, I had a blast out there. Um, they, Kelly, my goodness, they, they treated us like royalty when we were out there. Flew us out there, got us rental cars, put us up in, in the nicest hotel in, in their town. And, and they, I mean, they just treated us like they took us out to eat all the time. They just fed us this great food. We didn't spend a dime while we were there. It, it was just unbelievable how well they took care of us. They just absolutely spoiled us. And I got to... To, to preach one of the general sessions and, and and God moved and people were coming up, man, this is just awesome and, and the staff people were coming up and asking me questions and, and how would you do this? What would you do there? And the training sessions went great, you know, and everybody's responding well to all this stuff and I'm walking around and I'm going, Wow, this is amazing. I could stay here forever, you know? It's almost like I'm a a rock and roll preacher around here. It's just, they're spending money like crazy. They spent I I did the math and they spent right between fourteen hundred and fifteen hundred dollars a day for me and Kelly to be out there. While we were out there, it was insane. They were just throwing money at us, talking to us like we were the greatest thing ever. It was so much fun. And we hopped back on the plane, flew back here, showed up for, for the next Sunday service here at, at Life Point. And I walked through the doors, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to tell people what was going on. This is going to be so awesome. Like, I, was just, I was just rolling on cloud nine. I was just so hyped because I'd never. It's, when you get taken care of that well and people pay that much attention to what you say, I mean, you, you start walking a little bit different. So I came through, and I was like, man, this is just awesome. I can't wait. And here comes somebody and says, hey, um, Pastor Josh, yeah, the toilet in the men's bathroom is, is, is clogged up. Um, just want to let you know somebody needs to take care of that. Okay. So <laughs> I walk by and I'm thinking, why are, they, why are they asking me to take care of it? Why couldn't they just take the plunger and, and, and do whatever needed to be done? And I'm walking down. Here comes another person walking down the hallway. Hey, Pastor Josh. Hey, man. Hey, the toilet in the men's bathroom's clogged up. You want to take a look at that? And I thought, this is a little different. 
than what I was just exposed to. You know, it was a little different. I come walking in like the die. People were just begging me to give them information on church growth and how to structure ministries and what to do. And I was just rattling off answers. And they're like, man, this is great stuff. And I get here and they're like, hey, there's some number two backing up the toilet and we need you to take care of it. And I thought, man, this is jacked up. There's a lot of people in this church that take care of the floating danger that was in that bathroom back there, okay? There's a lot of people that could have taken care of that. But everybody's making a point to come back over here and say, Pastor Josh, you know, like I'm not the poo-poo pastor, I guess, in the church. There's a problem with poop. That's my job to take care of it. You know, like I'm supposed to do something with that. So <laughs> I'm walking, walking through, and I couple of people and then another person hey pastor josh did somebody tell you the bathroom's clogged yeah it's it's clogged and apparently i've got the spiritual gift of plunger on me and i'm supposed to be the one that goes in there to do that and i was kind of getting a bad attitude about it i'm like man there's so many people in here why can't other people clean the stupid toilet why can't the person that clogged the toilet (laughs) fix their own problem that they created you know i just want nothing to do with that and, and God spoke to me, and he said, what's the problem? Yes, sir. Why can't you be a servant and handle it yourself? I thought this wasn't about you, Josh. Mm. Mm. So Josh went and opened the door, and their report was accurate. That, that, that was a, that was a problem in the toilet. <laughs> so I, I I grabbed the the plunger and did what you got to do, and that didn't work. So we had to do a little bit more, and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to get the gloves to fix this problem. I didn't have to get the gloves, but it took a while problems resolved. I bet y'all love coming to church on Wednesday night and hearing about poop, don't you? This is great. So, I finished plunging the toilet. Everything's working right. And I walk out and just feel this impression on my spirit. Was that so hard? No. It wasn't hard. I said, you know what, God, thank you for reminding me I would have picked a different scenario if it had been me personally. But thank you for reminding me this isn't about me. And it doesn't matter how good you preach or how good you teach. And it doesn't matter what you're able to do at a conference or, or at a different church. It doesn't matter what you're able to do in a leadership session. or it just, None of that matters if you're not a servant who is willing to come in and clean up a poopy toilet too. You've got to have the same servant's heart through the whole thing. And it was a good reminder for me. <laughs> I would have preferred a different lesson. Um, but, but it was a really good reminder for me. And we've got to keep that perspective when dealing with other people. Sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of easy to get full of ourselves and full of our agenda and full of what's happening in our lives. And it's easy for us to lose sight of the servant that we're supposed to be to one another. 
and the way that we're supposed to give ourselves in humility, the way that our Lord and Savior did. So looking at servanthood in, in different areas of our lives, man, it, servanthood is something that can really benefit you because Jesus said, if you want to be first, make yourself last. And there's some, there's some kind of spiritual magic in a way that happens when you are able to humble yourself and take on the most menial task to serve someone else. That does something in the heart of people that makes them want to promote you up to a place of better stature because they know that it won't mess up your heart. So when you look at at servanthood in the workplace, and servanthood at work, it can be a powerful asset for you to have in your walk with God. Because when you approach work with a servant's heart attitude, a lot of opportunities can open up to you. Um, by willing to do what's needed, you make yourself invaluable to the company that you work for. If you're willing to do what's needed, instead of walk in and saying, you know what, I don't get paid to do all that. I get paid to do this over here. Now, if you're the person that'll go the extra step and go the extra mile and do what's needed at the job place to get the job done, I guarantee you that supervisor or that boss is going to immediately start to come to you to get things done that nobody else on your, on your shift wants to do. You're going to become invaluable to your supervisor. You're going to become invaluable to your boss. Now, the people that you work with, probably not going to like you so much. But that's okay, because you're heading to that promotion. They can still work for minimum wage if you want to. You're going to be the guy calling the shots and getting paid later because you're doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Servanthood can pay off big time at the job place. It really can. So you ask yourself some questions out of a motive of servanthood on the job. You ask yourself, what needs to be done that nobody else likes to do? Well, if you can humble yourself and find out what that is and start doing it, you are automatically going to set yourself apart from everybody else. If you start asking, what, what can I do that nobody else likes to do? What is the thing nobody on my shift wants to do, but it still needs to be done? What can I do to take care of that? Number two is this. How can I serve my coworkers and help them? And not just do what I'm responsible for doing on the job, but figure out a way to do what I do and knock it out of the park and then turn around and help them do what they're doing too. So if you're a person who is looking for things to do that nobody else wants to do, you're handling your responsibilities with excellence, and you're turning around and you're serving the people that you work with, how long do you think it's going to be before everybody at that place starts to love you? Because you're doing all the nasty stuff they don't want to do. You're knocking it out of the park, and you're helping them do their stuff. Pastor Josh, you're out of your mind. Who in the world? That's some good Bible teaching, but you don't work where I work. I'm telling you, if you apply this and you approach this through a servant's heart, it begins to change things, and I'll show it to you. The third question you can ask you, this is the big one. What can I do to serve my boss and make their job easier? Go up to your supervisor or your boss and say, look, I got all my stuff handled. I'm probably going to finish all my work early. 
is there anything I can do? Is there any more responsibility that I can take on in addition to what I've got going on? Because I've got this down pat. I'm, I'm so bored, I'm actually helping everybody else finish their work too. So is there any way that I could take on some more responsibility and make, maybe take some stuff off your plate that I can handle to take something off of you so you don't have to be so stressed out? If I'm a supervisor and somebody comes to me and says that, you just became my best friend. Now, there's a difference between doing that and brown nosing. <laughs> there's a big difference. Nobody likes a brown noser. Supervisors and bosses don't like brown nosers. You can't trust a brown noser. But somebody who has a strong worth ethic and they're proving their value to a company who's coming in and saying, look, I want to take on more. What can I do to help you? I want to pay attention to every time servanthood can benefit you in the workplace. And you can take this biblical principle and you can see quickly how making yourself the least in a situation can become a way for you to become promoted and become at the top. As long as you don't lose that heart of humility and willingness to serve and do what needs to be done. You get at the top and you get full of yourself, it's all going to fall apart. But if you keep that heart I'm telling you, it'll benefit you greatly in the workplace. So, the, and, and the big picture and the big thing about this is that if you do this, if you approach it through a servant's heart, servanthood at, at work gives you credibility and it creates a platform for you to share your faith at work. Because you've proved yourself to be a hard worker. You're helping the people around you. You're trying to help the supervisor. You're the guy that's helping, trying to get things done. Now you've just set yourself apart from everybody else because most people in the business world don't operate that way. And you have created a platform. You have set yourself apart and given yourself a beautiful opportunity to share your faith with somebody. That's how servanthood can impact the workplace. Amen? It's good stuff. It sets yourself apart. It really will. How does servanthood look with the family? Oh, boy. You know what? Let's just skip this, and we'll get down to the last little section. And then we <laughs> family is so much fun because, you know, Jesus said that he made a statement that a prophet's not accepted in his hometown. If he's not accepted in his hometown, can you imagine what he looks like around the family dinner table? Sometimes, like, people just know you. I've known you all my life. What's special about you? You know, family has a way of, of separating all that stuff. And they remember that you're the kid with the, the booger nose and the poopy diaper, or you're the person that did whatever you did growing up, you know. But when you're, when you're looking at servanthood in the family, if you have a heart to do this, what you have to keep in mind is this, that every family is full of individuals with different interests, different personalities, and they speak different love languages. So servanthood looks different to each person. It looks completely different. I have two children. Some of y'all have more children than that. But I promise you, servanthood to your children looks very different from child to child. You know, like Abby right now with her, <laughs> it's p- part of my servanthood to Abby is not throwing her out the window when she's screaming and, and wanting to do her little thing. That's, just, that's, part of, that's part of how I serve her right now. I promise I'm not a bad parent. Um, but when a kid's been crying for like three hours straight, oh my God in heaven. That's just, um, when I spend time with Hannah, it's completely different how I serve her. 
spend time with her when I'm tired and I just don't want to, I don't want to do anything because I've been working all day. And she wants to play Uno. She loves playing Uno right now. So Daddy's going to play a few games at Uno. You know, Daddy's going to go tuck her in and we're going to talk about everything in life, even though I just want to go to bed. But it's not about me at that moment. It's about how I can serve her as a father and be there to invest in her. Completely different than my other child, Abby. Who Abby, I, I watch YouTube videos sometimes with farm animals because she is absolutely in love with cows right now. Every, everything in Abby's life is, I promise you, she says cow and moo at least 100 times a day right now. Abby, you want to go outside? Cow, moo. Okay, cool. Abby, are you hungry? Yeah. Mmm. Cow, moo. You know, that's her thing. She's cow, moo, cow, moo, cow, moo. So hang out with her and play with her on her level. Interaction is completely different. You know, I serve Abby by teaching her parameters and, and how, not, how not to kill herself on the stairs, you know, why she doesn't need to stick her finger in a light socket, um, little things like that while taking all the medicine that she gets a hold of is bad, while we don't go rummaging around in the, in the, in the oven, you know, things, things like that, great life lessons. Hannah is, is helping her with her spelling words, you know, it's going out on a walk with her down to the creek and out in the woods spending time with her. And sometimes it's, it's setting parameters for her because with kids, servanthood doesn't mean that you give them what they want. That's not a servant's heart. It means that you give them what they need. So when you're serving your children, it doesn't mean that you spoil them. You've got to set parameters in serving them and setting them up for success in their life. Um, when you're looking at how you interact with your spouse, it's completely different. Completely different. You know, I, I dare say that power struggles cannot exist when a husband and a wife serve each other. When our motives towards each other in a marriage situation is to serve the other person, there's no way you can have a power struggle. Because you're operating out of humility and love and preferring the other person above yourself, putting their needs before you, you know what that means? That means that I help out with the housework. That means that Josh does dishes. Sometimes Kelly doesn't think I do dishes enough, but I do dishes. You know, it, that means Josh vacuums the floor because I know that it takes pressure off of my wife. That means when my, when my wife is tired and she's in bed after an exhausting day, sometimes Josh pops out the lotion and he gives her a good foot rub because he knows she enjoys that. I just serve her. You know, sometimes she just gives me that look, and I know she needs to go ride her horse, so I've got the kids for a while, and she can go ride her horse. Because sometimes mama needs a break, too. Let the lady say amen. You know what I mean? And it's okay. It looks completely different for the men. And how you serve your husband. Completely different thing. But but if we operate out out of a servant's heart towards one another in a marriage situation, then communication, not an issue anymore. Because we want to take the time to make sure that the other person understands us and we're taking time to understand them. Instead of forcing our agenda, we want to make sure that they understand where we're coming from and that our motive is correct. It takes care of all of that. Finances, if our motive is to serve one another, finances ceases to be an, uh, an issue in marriage. 
It's not about what I want with the money. It's about how this money can benefit us as a family and put us in a better position. I might want the gun, but Josh doesn't have to have the gun, and I can wait to get the gun if it means that my kids have food to eat and clothes to wear and my wife can go out on girls' night and I can still do some stuff around it. So I don't have to spend all that money on stuff because I want to take that money and put it in a place that's going to benefit the entire family and not just selfish old Josh. Make sense? It fixes all of that. Decisions that are made, if you approach it from a servant's heart, it's a completely different scenario. And the bedroom, we'll just keep it PG. But if you approach that through a servant's heart, holy snap. Holy, praise Lord God, that's beautiful too. That's fun. Your whole motivation is them, your spouse. In that scenario, and not what you can get out of that situation, that's complete. That's a whole different experience. A married couple say amen. Amen. Yeah, we'll just leave that on. We'll keep it PG. All right. So, so all those things, all those things, going through the filter of servanthood, become non-issues, and they become beautiful things. Beautiful things. Servanthood in the church. Is the last area we're going to look at. Servanthood impacts the church tremendously because a church can't function in unity or effectively reach a community without servanthood. It just can't happen because people have to serve in ministry. We have to serve the community through services. Um, the pastor has to be able to serve the people that he leads. If I don't serve you or if pastor roland doesn't serve you in a proper way if we don't approach what we do in the spirit of servanthood man this church will implode this church does not exist to to carry out the agenda of the leadership team of the church the leadership team of the church exists to equip the people of the church to do what god has called them to do to, to properly give them the tools to carry out that vision and that calling on their individual lives and to set the congregation up for spiritual success and to help you grow in your relationship with God. So through that filter of servanthood, and what we do in leadership here is a beautiful thing. It's kind of jacked up in, in church scenarios where the leadership sees people who attend the church as tithing units and then people that we can use to accomplish an agenda. That's pretty jacked up. Y'all seen that in churches before? Some of y'all probably experienced that in churches before. Well, that's out of balance, and that's not the way it's supposed to operate. Servanthood in the church is powerful. Um, a servant's heart in church also protects against offense. It protects against offense. When your motive is out of humility and love towards other people, and you have that servant's heart towards other people, you're a whole lot less likely to get offended by what people do. Let me say that again. You're a whole lot less likely to get offended by what people do because you understand that it's not about you. I had this guy just years and years and years and years and years ago in a land far, far, far away who, who absolutely did not like me. We served in the same church. We served, I mean, it's leadership in, in the same church, and, and the dude didn't like me at all and told people he didn't like me, told, him, told people why he had a problem. Oh, dude, what is the deal? What did I ever do to you? Didn't do anything, just didn't like me. 
didn't think I did this right. You know how people, you know, just some people you're just never going to make happy. It doesn't matter what you do. He's just one of those people. And so I was like, well, you know what I'll do? I'll try to put this Bible into action. And I put myself in a situation where I served on that person's ministry team for a season, even though they didn't like me. I figured that by humbling myself and serving that individual, that it would give God an opportunity to change that person's heart and view towards me and maybe break whatever that wedge was that the, the devil put in his heart, just out so the guy's heart could be healed. And so I went in there, and I just served the guy. And you want to talk about rude? Dude was rude to me. Oh, my. Man, it, talking servanthood is one thing, but living servanthood is completely. Dude was rude to me. Like, there were several times where I was like, mm, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and don't kill him. You know, that, I, was gonna, I don't know if don't kill him is a real fruit of the Spirit, but um, that is how I was feeling. And I just put in the time and put in the time and put in the time. And you know what happened? A couple of weeks went by, still didn't like me. A couple of months went by, started to tolerate me. About six months went by, started cracking jokes with me. And before the end of the year, we were best buds. That's just a cool thing, huh? Cool thing, servanthood can, can just absolutely do beautiful things in the church, and it can kill offense in people. A servant's heart protects against offense. I didn't care what the dude thought about me. I put myself in a position to serve, and God was able to use it. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but our job is to do what we know is right to do and let the other individuals make their own choices. Amen? You can't change somebody's heart. God can do that, and they make the decision, but you've got to do what the Bible says to do. The last point is this. A church that serves each other creates an environment of love, community, or family, and it creates an environment of acts of kindness. When we serve one another, when our motive is to, to see someone else succeed, see what we can do to help somebody, and operate out of humility and love towards one another, all kinds of things start happening in the church. With random acts of kindness, love, letting people know that they matter. When guests come in and they see people interacting with one another that way, man, it just speaks volumes now, we can talk Jesus all day long, and we can preach Jesus all day long, but when we live Jesus and when we show Jesus, that's what people notice. And I think that's what will set the church apart. When we interact with one another out of love and humility and a servant's heart towards one another, it shows the love of God in action, and people take notice. One of the best outward signs of love is servanthood. The servanthood. You can't talk about loving people if you're not willing to serve people. Amen? That all plays a part. So servanthood is a powerful thing, and that's a little bit about how it could look in your everyday life. And it could benefit you on the job. It could benefit you in your marriage and in your family, how you interact with your children. And it absolutely benefits the church just in unity and cutting out offense and, and petty bickering. Cuts all that stuff out. If our motive towards each other is love and humility and the desire to truly serve because we want to follow the example of our Lord and Savior, everything changes in the church house. 
Everything changes in how we interact with the community. Everything changes in how we interact with one another. Everything changes in how we paint the picture that our Lord wants us to paint. It's not about being first. It's about humbling ourselves and putting each other first. Because we know in doing that, we're following Jesus' example. And painting a beautiful picture of his love through our actions towards other people. Amen? Good stuff tonight? Yeah? Benefited you? That's awesome. Well, let's stand and let's pray. And let's get ready to dismiss. Father, I worship you and I thank you again for the truth of your word. And something that sometimes is difficult to to put into play in our lives because we've got two things working against us. Naturally, we want to be selfish on our own and we have to put that to death. But then sometimes people just aren't easy to like. Father, I thank you that you set the perfect example and that you died for all of us while we were at our worst. And if you can show that kind of love for us, then we can show that kind of love for others. Let your love show through us to other people about what we do, how we say and how we interact with other people, how we serve one another. God, I pray that you give us opportunities to put this word into action so that we can serve our family, so that we can put servanthood to work at our job, and so that we can continue to find creative ways to put it to work in our church and how we interact with one another, and what we can do as a church creatively to serve our community and reach out to them, Lord. What we do says a whole lot more than what we say. God, we want to be people of action as we walk out of here tonight. We want to be people that serve the way that you served. Because that's the the example that you set. If you want to be first, then you have to become last. Humble ourselves and operate out of love and humility towards each other through a servant's heart. God, I give you praise for your word. And I thank you for these people that were here tonight. Lord, I pray that you bless them. Give them rest tonight. I know some of them have to get up real early for jobs tomorrow. God, give them, give them 12 hours worth of rest tonight in the, in the amount of sleep that they get, God. Let them wake up refreshed, ready to put this word into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise before we leave this evening. All right. Love y'all. Thank y'all for coming out this evening. We'll see you Sunday. It's going to be an awesome word. Pastor's going to be back. And, man, when he's had some time off, that dude just comes in and preaches the paint off the wall, so you don't want to miss that. Um, Don't forget about the new members class coming up this Sunday. You don't want to miss that. Elevate this coming Monday. A lot of great stuff coming up. Love y'all. Be blessed. We'll see you later.